Welcome to the Holy City Church Podcast Station. This is Pastor Angel. If you missed Sunday's sermon or want to listen to it again, you're in the right place. We're glad that you can take the time to catch up as we go through God's Word together. So I hope you're ready. But if you're not, grab your Bible. Let's get ready for what God has in store for us today. Once you have Matthew's chapter 5, uh, Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12, go ahead and join me by standing and we'll read this together. And he says, Seeing the crowds, he went up the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for there is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for the reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for this moment. Father, thank you because... You have preserved this word for us, Lord, and we just pray that you can change our lives and change who we are through your word, Father. Father, we pray that as we continue to look at this sermon, sermon preached by Jesus himself, Lord, that you can soften soften our hearts, that you can open our minds to understand what Jesus was trying to say, Father, and I ask that Whatever words I speak may not be mine, it's for yours. In your name we pray. Amen. And you may be seated. We're going to look at the second half of these 12 verses. We looked at the first half last week. We're going to look at the second half this week. And I believe it was from uh, verses 7 and on. And this is the second part of the Beatitudes. And just kind of to fill you in, just in case you might forgot, or maybe you weren't here last week, uh, we're looking at the Sermon on the Mount, which is one of the most famous and one of the biggest and largest sermon or, or teaching that's been recorded from Jesus himself. Uh, this is a teaching that he brought to anyone who considers themselves to be a disciple of Christ. This is anyone who, who follows Christ. That's what a disciple is. Somebody who follows Christ and follows his teaching. So he was teaching. You see the, the Bible says his disciples came and he taught them. Right? But at the same time, it wasn't just a sermon or just a teaching for his disciples specific. He wanted everyone else to hear it. Of course, anyone who's willing to hear it. And for those who, who follow Christ, Jesus starts by bringing us to terms with our attitudes as believers. This is attitudes that we should take on as believers. 
This is attitudes. These are attitudes that reflect who we are as believers. And then for those who don't follow Christ or don't know Christ yet, you have to know that Jesus is talking about ethical guidelines for life in his kingdom. This is a reflection of God's kingdom. This is a reflection of people that live in God's kingdom. And of course, we, you know, we started with the Beatitudes, which we have to understand that these are not commitments, they're exhortations. Jesus is saying, we are blessed. We are blessed because of our response to what he has done in our hearts. We are responding to what Jesus did to us. Whatever he did in our hearts, whatever change, this is our response to it. This is Jesus saying that we are blessed. And not just any blessing. He's talking about being joyful. We are joyful. That's the attitude we have. We, we obtain this joy because of who we are, of what Jesus has done to us. And again, this is not a checklist, right? This is not a pool of attributes that we can pick from. This is not, Jesus is not saying, okay, look, guys, look at some of the attributes you can have. If you believe in me, pick one, which one you like the most, right? He's not talking. He's not, that's why he's not saying it's not a pool. It's not a checklist that you can go through and say, oh, I want this one. I don't want this one. It is just like the, the, the fruit of the Spirit, right? When it talks about the fruit of the Spirit, he's not talking about you can choose one fruit and not the other. And he, as a matter of fact, the way it's written, it's singular. It says these are the fruit of the Spirit. One fruit. That means all of it. You can't have love and then not have joy, right? You can't choose to be peaceful, right? And not be patient. You can't do that. He's talking about everything. Just like these attributes is not choose one. It's you have all of them. And you know, and as I prepare this sermon, uh, or any sermon for that, for that fact, uh, I always ask God to always kind of teach us, right? Teach us. Guide me to bring in the word that, that we need for whatever it is that's happening around us and we need to tackle, right? And, and, and I know that reading the Bible just itself, anything that's in there, it's, it's going to help us with our everyday life, right? Anything. Anytime you read anything, it's going to apply to what you're living through. But there is no better time than now than for the world to see our fruits. If I would have to say any time in my generation that the church needs to display their fruits, is this time right now that we're living in. Lately, I've heard a lot of preachers and teachers say that we have been called for a time like this, and I couldn't agree more. We have been called for a time like the one that we're living in right now. In a time like this, our attitude is going to surely stand out. The whole world's divided. The whole world's arguing with each other. There's divisions left and right. People giving their own opinions, pushing their own opinions. Everybody's fighting about everything. And when you look at the attitudes that Christ is asking us, not asking us, he's telling us that we are going to have, 
when you look at those attitudes, if you live that way, you're going to stand out. You're going to be somebody different. And these attitudes that we bring will determine how people react to us. You know, people are going to either listen to you and draw to you and say, I want to hear more. How can you have so much peace when the whole world's being chaotic? And they're going to ask you that or they're going to ask you how, you know, you can have so much peace and then reject you because of it. You can either go either way, depending. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not saying you're always going to have a good outcome. As a matter of fact, you may have more out bad outcomes, but our attitude is going to make us stand out. You're going to be able to pick out. You're going to see those who are truly Christ followers because of how they're acting in the middle of all this pain and all this division. And as the world continues to feed their own egos and seek after their own ideas, it is a joy to see how God unites His sons and daughters to seek righteousness. It is so much joy to see people gather together and live out the way Christ has called us to live. Now, as we continue with, with this sermon, right, this beginning Beatitudes, right? There's a few interesting things about what Jesus is saying and how he's saying it. I mean, when you look at the Beatitudes, you're going to notice that there are eight attitudes in total, right? And, and there's in verse 11 that kind of seems like it's his own beatitude, but it's not. It's just a continuing of verse 10. But if you actually break these down, these eight attitudes, you're going to get two groups, which is kind of how I've laid them out, right? Last week we went four, one group, and now today we're going to do another four, second group. But as you can see, each group ends in the same way. I don't know if you can see the screen. The first four and the second four end with a reference to righteousness. The first group of four ends with the verse 6 where it says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And then the second one ends in verse 10. It says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness. So it seems like God has given us a need and a desire for righteousness. But then if you continue to look at the structure of, of, of these Beatitudes, you know, you look at it as a whole, you're going to see that there's three, <coughs> that the three Beatitudes leading to verse 6 are descriptions of emptiness. And it's basically pronouncing a blessing upon those who recognize their emptiness and grieve over it. And that they don't try to justify what has God and what is missing in their life. But then Jesus makes a transition from emptiness to fullness by saying that the hunger and the thirst for righteousness is also blessed. And it's a promise to fill you up to a point where you're going to find satisfaction. So you start off with being empty. You're broken in spirit. You recognize you're not worth anything spiritually. That you're lacking. And as Jesus continues to talk, he sees how he continues then to fill you. Right? We know that once you're seeking that uh, 
seeking God and, and, and you're, you're seeking him without hunger, right? The same way he does with the Samaritan woman. What does he say to her? You're, you're going to thirst no more. You're going to have that permanent thirst be filled. And of course, we know that's not literal. It's not you're thirsty. We're talking about a spiritual. But this fullness can only be accomplished through Christ. There's no institution in this world can ever fulfill you the way God has and will fill you. So then we continue, right? We're going to start on verse 7. We're, and, and remember, let's, let's kind of keep this in mind as, as we look at the next uh, four Beatitudes. At this point, we are filled. We are full already. Right? So we have to keep that in mind so we can understand what is Jesus trying to say. So when you look at verse 7, Jesus goes on and he says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And Jesus is clear with what he's trying to say here. He's saying we should have a merciful attitude. You should be merciful. But we must understand something. The reason we can even find it in our hearts to be merciful towards anyone or anything is because we have received mercy first. We understand that we ourselves needed mercy. And understanding we need mercy is knowing that we're in need of help of someone. I mean, if you look at the emptiness part of his Beatitudes, right? If you look at the poor in spirit, right? If you look at a person who's poor in, who's poor in spirit, a person who is meek, those who hunger, there's one thing that they have in common. And is that they have a dependency on someone. Right? You look at it and you go, well, the meek needs to humble themselves. Right? That's what it is to be meek, to be humble. Right? And Christ is saying, you're going to. Don't worry. You're going to inherit the kingdom of God. Don't worry. That means it's not on you. I mean, it's on God. If you're broken and poor in spirit, how can that be fixed? Not on you, but on God. It always comes down to being dependent on someone. It is knowing our weaknesses and our failures and looking outwards to whom will be merciful towards us and restore us. You have to understand that we are weak the moment you realize you're weak and you know that you are weak is when you realize that you need someone to restore us. We have to understand that. And this is the only way we can truly be merciful to those who are around us. When we have that attitude, when we can understand that we need mercy ourselves then we could be merciful for others. I mean, if you think about it, you see a person who's hungry, would you not feed the person? Right? You'd be like, of course I'll feed the person. 
But why would you feed the person that's hungry? Because you yourself understand what it is to be hungry. When you're starving, you have nothing. You know how much that hurts, right? So you experience that. So when you see someone who's hungry, you'll be like, man, I know how that feels. I know how that pain in that stomach where that person hasn't eaten for two days. So of course, I understand. Therefore, I can provide this person food. I'm going to because I feel bad for them because they hurt just like I know that hurts. It's the same thing. You can't be merciful if you do not understand that you need mercy yourself. Now there's one thing it's being nice and the other thing is being merciful because anyone can do nice something nice about somebody, right? They can drop a dollar in a little jar or a homeless guy. You know, anyone can do that. But another thing is being merciful. So to be merciful, it means that you're withholding a just punishment from someone who deserves the punishment. You're saying, hey, you did something to me and I should retaliate. But you're not. That's what he's talking about. And I know that kind of, you know, clicks with I hope, well, I don't hope everyone, but I'm sure everyone. You know, somebody here has done, well, not somebody here, everyone here, somebody has done something to you that's been wrong, right? I know I'm the first one to say. There's been many of people that have done wrong things to me. And many times what they've done, it's perfectly okay to say, hey, you know, you heard me. I deserve for me to punch in the face right now because they've done a lot of bad things to you. But we don't. Right? I hope not. A lot of things people do require that immediate retaliation, but we don't retaliate. You're being merciful. It's not taking the just punishment into your own hands, but leaving it up to God. You say, you deserve this, but I'm going to be merciful. I won't give you this, what you deserve. Being merciful is never taking a hostile stand against those in need. I mean, if you see someone who's weak and is poor, or someone who's weeping or mourning, rather than acting against them, rather than saying, hey, look at this guy, I'm sure he's got a reason to be broke in the street, right? Look at this guy, he's mourning. Why is he mourning for? Look at what this person did. Why is he mourning for that person if they did all that to him? Why? Rather than going against that person, rather than criticizing those who are in sin, we must go to where they are and we must sit with them, we must stand with them, and we must go with that pain with them. Don't go to them and be like, hey, why are you mourning for that girl, that guy that did all this to you? No, you go where they are and you go, hey, you need a shoulder to cry on. Let's go. That's what's me, merciful. Mercy is always caring for the souls of all men with our overflowing, with, with our overflowing deeds of mercy. Right? We, we must do good things for those people. No matter who they are, no matter where they come from. We must do good to those people. 
we have to remember that it's not looking, uh, that God is not looking for a religious person because we can, you know, draw this line and all of a sudden where we, we are, we just become religious. We're just doing good deeds and that's it. Right? Because Jesus himself said it to the Pharisees in Matthew 9 verse 13. He says, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. So what God really wants is for us to have feelings of affection towards Him and mercy towards others. Jesus says we are blessed. We are blessed. And we're going to be blessed. It's a future blessings. We've received blessings now. But Jesus here is talking about a future blessings. We've seen how many times he talked about the kingdom, right? About the future, right? About eternity, right? So he's, he, we're blessed now because we have Christ. But he's talking about because your mercy, you because you're merciful, you will be blessed. A future blessing. An eternal blessing. A lot of people look for those blessings. Hey, I'm nice all the time. I do good things all the time. Why am I not getting good things coming back to me, right? Well, I'm not living in that mansion yet, and I give to the homeless all the time, right? People look at it that way, for this is a future blessing. And we receive these blessings because we put everything put everything under mercy and we put mercy ahead of everything even the just we say well <laughs> this guy does deserve that punch in the face but we don't we put mercy above what's justice and now don't get me wrong okay there, there is a an exception it doesn't mean that we should be you know we shouldn't punish our kids when they behave bad or we shouldn't put someone in jail, you know, when they commit a crime or fire an employee when they do not do their job, right? Or even discipline someone in the church who is constantly living in sin. I'm not saying that, oh, you don't know how to do your job. It's okay. No, that's not what it's talking about, right? But when we do what we have to do, whether it's punish someone, whether it's fire someone, whether, whether it's disciplining someone, we must do it with a heart full of mercy and understanding. When we're bringing justice, the justice that we're allowed to bring, we must do it with mercy. Now as we continue, Jesus says in verse 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So when we see this kind of statement, pure in heart, in Greek it refers to a person who walks straight. That's what the definition of it is in Greek. If you take that word itself in Greek, it's a person who walks straight, is an honest person, someone with clarity. But if you put it in context to what Jesus is saying, Jesus is not talking about someone who speaks good or has good actions. He's not necessarily just talking about someone who just does that. Jesus is talking about a person who has been changed 
within. Pure heart is within. A person who is changed within. It is a person with a good, loving, and caring heart who wants the best for everyone that's around us. This is also someone who is not divided in their devotion and commitment to God. It's someone who's pure in heart. It's someone who knows who God is and follows God no matter what's happening. And is committed to the kingdom and is committed to following Christ even if they're humiliated, even if they're put down, even if they get fired from work, even if they get killed. doesn't matter. They are committed to who God is and following Christ. But at the same time, it doesn't mean that your actions won't reflect it. Because if you look at Luke chapter 6, verse 45, it says, The good person out of, a good, out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. So out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. So it is impossible to have a good heart and do evil deeds. You can't. If your inside is changed, if your inside is good, that's what's going to come out. So if you see that your actions are evil, then you better check inside. Because that's what's coming out of that. even though Jesus is referring to a spiritual internal state, we can't forget it is manifested outwardly. And I've said this many times. The decisions you make, the desires you have, the thoughts and intentions that you will have, they're all being led by your heart. That's where it's coming from. Your heart, your desires, everything. So if with a pure heart, you're going to make choices, you're going to make decisions that are based on God's will. But with an unpure heart, with an impure heart, you're going to do whatever you want. Because that's what the heart's telling you to do. Right? Where everybody always talks about, you know, do whatever your heart feels, right? the right thing whatever your heart feels yeah okay but what is your heart feeling who is what kind of heart do you have do you have a selfish heart or do you have a godly given heart now Jesus says that those who possess this attitude receive the most wonderful reward they shall enjoy a greater intimacy with God this intimacy that, that you cannot even imagine you can possibly have with God because you have a pure heart. But then why is it those only with pure hearts get to obtain this benefit? And it's because those with an impure heart are blinded by the pollution of sin in their heart. I mean, anyone who, who has an impure heart it's just being led by sin, by rejecting who God is. So that's where you start sinning. Because you're saying, I'm not going to do what you're telling me, God. I'm going to do whatever I want. So then 
land. They're overcome with oppression. They're overcome with lust. They're overcome with deception. They become slaves to sin. So when you're a slave to sin, it doesn't allow you to fully do what you're what Christ is asking you to do because you can't. You're a slave to sin. You can only do what sin is allowing you to do. That's what a slave is. A slave does whoever the master tells them to do. They can't do nothing else. You can't just walk out and be like, hey, I'm, I'm, I'll be back tomorrow. You can't just do that. You don't have choices to make like that. Like, oh, yeah, I could do whatever I want. When you're a slave to sin, you cannot. But those who are pure in heart will continue to seek God. That's why I always say, you know, when I hear those people you know, they say a lot, well, you know, we have free will, right? We have the free will. I go, no, you're actually wrong. You don't have free will. Because a person with an impure heart is slave to sin and can only exercise sin. And you only truly have free will when you have the ability to choose right from wrong. When you could choose right, then you have free will because you can choose right. But if you're enslaved to sin, you're going to continue to choose wrong. And you say, well, I, I do good things. Yeah, for what reason? Oh, because it makes me feel good. There you go. Selfishness. Those with pure heart, because of your pure heart, you will be able to be closer to God. Because you're going to be seeking God. You're going to want God. You're going to want the things of God. So therefore you're going to have a closer relationship with God. So now Jesus continues and he says. In verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers. For they shall be called sons of God. So what does this mean? Remember the context. This is not living in peace per se, but it's bringing about peace. That's what he's talking about here. This is what Jesus means by being a peacemaker. It's bringing about peace. You know, I always used to think that this meant that we go out and solve everyone's problems. Right? We see a fight. Let's stop the fight. My parents are arguing. Let's stop the argument. My friends don't want to talk to each other. Let's stop that. My friend's a Republican and I'm a Democrat. Let's make peace. Let's go out. That's why I think everyone wants to pray for peace in the world, right? We think we're called to just make everyone peaceful. Let's not fight. Let's not argue. But in reality, we need to bring about peace. I mean, that's not to say we should just, we shouldn't live in peace, right? Or promote peace and, and we should be like, yeah, everybody go fight. Let's go. Let's go riot. No, no, no. This is, you find that somewhere else in the Bible. You, we can't do that. But the problem is that sometimes making peace only comes when we agree with everything, including the things that are ungodly. Sometimes to make peace, I need to sit with you and you got to say, hey, look, I think abortion is good and for me to be peaceful I have to be like yeah it's good because the moment I disagree 
we're going to get into an argument, right? So that can't be it. Because I can't sit here with you and say that, hey, abortion is good just so I don't create problems. No. That's not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is not talking about that kind of peace. So what does what what is it? What what is to bring about peace? And we have to remember God's whole plan of redemption is to provide reconciliation and peace within himself. And those who were who were formerly separated from him. So to bring peace is to bring people to the same message. We got to bring the same message that was brought to us. We got to bring to others. That's what bringing bringing among peace is. Whatever message was brought to you that brought peace into your heart, you have to bring that message to others. And we all know what message that is, right? Christ, the gospel. That's what brought peace to your life. That's what we bring to others, that same message. It goes deeper than just fight, you know, just stopping a fight on the street. It's about presenting the only God who can really bring peace into anyone's life permanently. Look, we can't, we, I can't just agree with you if I wanted to and be like, yeah, yeah, I agree with the red of whatever wrong message you have. Yeah, yeah. So I don't fight with you, but that's not it. I'm not bringing you real peace. I'm just bringing you momentarily peace right here as we sit down. That's not real peace. Real peace is in Christ. It's in the truth. Real peace is understanding and following Christ. When you have Christ in your life, that's real peace. You're going to find real peace. So why shouldn't I bring that to you? We can fight all day and I can agree and not fight. But what's that going to do? We're just going to get along. But that's not what we're called to do. We're not called to get along. We're called to be peacemakers. Bring about peace. Who are these peacemakers? So those who are peacemakers are the, are, are the first and foremost people who understand what true peace is. We have to understand what true peace is. If we don't, sorry, I know that's very hard words to say all at the same time. But if we don't understand what true peace is, how are we going to bring that to anyone? You're saying, well, true peace is just everybody getting along. Not true peace. What are you going to bring? You're not going to bring truth. The true peacemaker are those who promote the kingdom of God. Their lives are given to working from promoting the kingdom of God, reconciling adversaries, quenching hatred, you uniting those who are divided, promoting true understanding and love. That's what it is to bring peace. You are peacemaker if you're bringing that into this world. We have to bring this message because we, we know that racial discrimination, division, hatred, among many things that we're seeing today have already been dealt with in Scripture. Somebody already dealt with that. We just need to bring it. 
and point it out to those who are there so they can know that we don't racially discriminate, not because we don't feel like it, it's because God gave those people value, so we all have value, so we don't discriminate. We bring Christ. I know many want to, you know, fix these problems. I know, I get it. I want to too. I want to get those problems fixed. But until you don't tackle sin, those problems are going to continue. And there's only one way to tackle sin. Christ. You can't tackle sin on your own. And let me tell you something. For those who like to pray for world peace, or maybe even carry that coexist sticker on their car, I'm not trying to be offensive. I'm not going to be. But the world will never be at peace. We can pray about peace all day long. And we can pray about coexisting all day long. But we cannot. We are not. We're not until we all have an understanding. The real peace comes from one true God. As long as we say no there's many gods. And we decide that we are going to live the way we want to. There's never going to be peace. Only when we have this understanding, when the whole world understands that it's through what God did is how we find peace, is when we are going to find peace. The only way we're going to find harmony. So rather than praying for world peace, let's start praying for people to find Christ. The moment we preach Christ in a world who doesn't understand God, what do you get? You get hatred. So what makes you think there's going to be peace? If we're bringing God and they're hating us for it, that's, that's it. Peace is crashed off. That's it. No more peace. There's a promise for the peacemakers. And the promise is that they shall be called sons of God. This means that you're going to be true children of God. You're going to be adopted into you're adopted into the family of Christ. He is your father and you are his son. And, here, and here's why I know Jesus is not talking about just, you know, let's all make peace right here. Let's make world peace. Let everybody, let's get along. Because the next verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. For theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. Remember how we ended up last week. We're seeking righteousness. Here is what's going to happen to those who are seeking righteousness. You're going to be persecuted. And I don't know if anyone has ever been in, 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 in a situation where they're being so frustrated with the way they're being treated as a believer. I don't know. I'm, I'm guessing we all have. You've been in that point where, where you're trying to be a believer and you're trying to preach the gospel and bringing good news to those people. And what do they do? They humiliate you. And to a point where you just want to cry, right? 
I remember a few years ago, I was sitting with some friends, and, and I was telling them how excited I was to finally go to the Bible Museum in Washington, D.C. for the first time ever. Oh, man, I was so excited. Brand new. I hear it's awesome. And I'm telling these friends of mine how awesome it is to finally get to do that. We're going to go see snow. We're going to see the Bible Museum. And the family's excited. But for one of them, it was more interesting to go ahead and humiliate me in front of everyone. You're going to see a Bible Museum. What the heck is that? Most of you can relate, right? Trying to tell somebody how awesome God is, and all the response you get is laughter, or they call you names. They humiliate you, they put you down because of what you believe. It's not easy. And I believe that's either number one or number two reason, top reason why people in the church struggle so much with preaching the gospel, making disciples. Because they're scared of the humiliations that's going to come with it. I get it. I get it. I'm not saying it's not there. And I wish I can say that it's just going to get better. Don't worry. Keep trying. It's going to get better. But it's not. It's not going to get better. People are going to eventually reject you. But if you look at it in a good example, we can see Jesus' life. Right? You say, well, it's going to get better. No, it's not because... Jesus is an example that is not going to get better. See, everything Jesus did. And Jesus did a lot of things. Jesus healed so many people. But he still got persecuted. I mean, I have never healed anyone. I've never healed anyone. So if I get persecuted, I understand. But Jesus, Jesus did awesome things, and yet he still got persecuted. So the way you live, the things you do, the things that you will say will attract people. It's going to attract people. And if you're not attracting people, it's probably because you're not doing something right. Now, those you attract are either going to be changed by the words that you're going to say to them, not by you, but by the words, the words is God's word either they're going to be changed or they're going to reject you and the majority of the time they're going to reject you just like they rejected Jesus they're going to reject you and you will be rejected that's a certainty you are going to be rejected that's what Jesus said look I'm going to change your heart you're going to find emptiness, but I'm going to comfort you and fill you. You're going to find eternal peace. You're going to live righteously. You're going to love me so much that you will spread the truth. You're going to spread my word. You're going to bring peace. But people are going to revile you. They're going to persecute you. They're going to utter all kinds of evil things against you that are false. Just like they did to him and just like they did to all the prophets. But he says, as you, as you live this out, as you're going to get persecuted, as you, you live in a world where they're going to be constantly be put down, he says, rejoice. He says, rejoice. 
but it's not like okay I'm happy yeah that's okay no rejoice that's like jumping up and down with happiness it's like leaping for joy so it's not just being happy it's just joyful rejoice that you're being persecuted and be glad because yours is the kingdom so let the world trample you let the world dismiss you and call you crazy because you believe in Christ. Let them. We have a promise that, that we will overcome. And we have a promise that we're going to live eternally for, in, with Christ in heaven. It's a promise. So let them. Let the world do what they want to do. The world doesn't understand that there's someone bigger than us, someone bigger than everything. So Jesus says, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. They don't understand. The world does not understand. That's why it's hard to, to just be, you know, peaceful everywhere. Let's just be all peaceful. It's hard because they don't understand. So they're going to persecute you. these character traits these attitudes that we looked at these are not valued by culture that we live in today they're not and I can tell you that because as soon as you read the first one you're already saying oh snap this is going to be a complicated little 12 chapters because this is our attitudes to live in this world that's kind of hard why is it hard because the world doesn't like these attitudes We all know what this world thinks of us. They have made it perfectly clear, especially the last couple of months. Where the church has been called out by many false things. And I want to blame false prophets. It's their fault. Yeah, maybe. But Jesus says it's going to happen. Where the false prophets are not, it's going to happen. But just because the world doesn't value them doesn't mean anything because these are character traits that describe a citizen of heaven. These are character traits of those who truly follow Christ. These are character traits of those who love Christ and love the church. You know, and I like the way Jesus kind of lays out this, uh, these uh, beatitudes, right? It's like, a, it's like a sandwich, right? First thing, it's like a sandwich. He, he starts with uh, and kind of ends with the same promise. It says, yours is the kingdom of heaven. That's how it starts, chapter, verse 6. That's how he ends, verse 11. Yours is the kingdom of heaven. And secondly, this whole section... When you read it and you look at it, it's, it's a picture of the gospel. God changes your heart. He opens your eyes. You realize how deprived you are. He changes your desires, your actions, your life changes. Many of those will see this and hate you for it. 
They will call you a sellout. For you are joyful because yours is the kingdom of heaven. But this can only be possible through the work of Christ. There's nothing we can do to make this possible. This only happens through Christ. And if you're his disciple, this is a sure promise. But if you're not yet his disciple, you have to know that these were this is where 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 you find true blessings. This is the only place you're going to find real blessings. Blessings like nothing in the world can ever offer. See, this world offers blessings in material things and in people and they all eventually fail. You're like, well, you got a lot of money. One day you can have no money. You go from being rich to being broke, broke, just like that. You say, well, I have great family and great friends and then the next day your family and friends backstab you or say something bad about you. I'm blessed with such an awesome family. Next week the family don't even call you for Christmas. That's not what blessings is in. See, Christ, He's the one that offers His joy. It's in Him. And He never fails. God will never fail you. So that's why we find true joy and true blessings in Christ. Hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. If you have any questions, would like to connect or listen to our library sermons, jump right over to our website at www.holycitychurch.us. Again, we want to thank you for listening. And remember, this podcast is not intended to replace your time at the church. So we hope you have a blessed week and talk to you again next week on Catch Up with Holy City Church. Mm-hmm.